Chapter Four of Esther Waters. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Bridget. Esther's position in Woodview was now assured, and her fellow servants recognized the fact, though they liked her none the better for it. Mrs. Latch still did what she could to prevent her from learning her trade, but she no longer attempted to overburden her with work. Of Mr. Leopold, she saw almost as little as she did of the people upstairs. He passed along the passages or remained shut up in his pantry. Ginger used to go there to smoke, and when the door stood ajar, Esther saw his narrow person seated on the edge of the table, his leg swinging. Among the pantry people, Mr. Leopold's erudition was a constant subject of admiration. His reminiscences of the races of thirty years ago were full of interest. He had seen the great horses whose names live in the stud-book, the horses the gaffer had owned, had trained, had ridden, and he was full of anecdote concerning them and the gaffer. Praise of his father's horsemanship always caused a cloud to gather on Ginger's face, and when he left the pantry Swindles chuckled. Whenever I wants to get a rise out of Ginger, I says, Ah, we shall never see another gentleman jock who can use the whip at a finish like the governor in his best days. Everyone delighted in the pantry and to make Mr. Leopold comfortable, Mr. Swindles used to bring in the wolfskin rug that went out with the carriage, and wrap it round Mr. Leopold's wooden armchair, and the sallow little man would curl himself up, and smoking his long clay, discuss the weights of the next big handicap. If Ginger contradicted him, he would go to the press, and extract from its obscurity a package of Bell's Life, or a file of the sportsman. Mr. Leopold's press. For forty years no one had looked into that press, Mr. Leopold guarded it from every gaze, but it seemed to be a much varied repository from which, if he chose, he could produce almost any trifle that might be required. It seemed to combine the usefulness of a hardware shop and a drug store. The pantry had its etiquette and its discipline. Jockey boys were rarely admitted, unless with the intention of securing their services for the cleaning of boots or knives. William was very proud of his right of entry. For that half-hour in the pantry he would willingly surrender the pleasure of walking in the droveway with Sarah. But when Mrs. Latch learnt that he was there her face darkened, and the noise she then made about the range with her saucepans was alarming. Mrs. Barfield shared her cook's horror of the pantry, and often spoke of Mr. Leopold as that little man. Although outwardly the family butler, he had never ceased to be the gaffer's private servant. He represented the old days of bachelorhood. Mrs. Barfield and Mrs. Latch both disliked him. Had it not been for his influence, Mrs. Barfield felt sure her husband would never have returned to his vice. Had it not been for Mr. Leopold, Mrs. Latch felt that her husband would never have taken to bedding. Legends and mystery had formed around Mr. Leopold and his pantry, and in Esther's unsophisticated mind this little room, with its tobacco smoke and glasses on the table, became a symbol of all that was wicked and dangerous and when she passed the door she closed her ears to the loud talk, and instinctively lowered her eyes. The simplest human sentiments were abiding principles in Esther, love of God and love of God in the home. But above this Protestantism was human nature, and at this time Esther was, above all else, a young girl. Her twentieth year thrilled within her. She was no longer weary with work, and new rich blood filled her veins. She sang at her work, gladdened by the sights and sounds of the yard, the young rooks calling lustily in the evergreens, the gardener passing to and fro with plants in his hands, 
the white cats licking themselves in the sun, or running to meet the young ladies who brought them plates of milk. Then the racehorses were always going to or coming from the downs. Sometimes they came in so covered with white mud that part of their toilette was accomplished in the yard, and from her kitchen window she could see the beautiful creature haltered to the hook fixed in the high wall, and the little boy in his shirt-sleeves and hitched-up trousers, not a bit afraid, but shouting and quieting him into submission with a stick when he kicked and bit, tickled by the washing-brush passing under the belly. Then the wrestling, sparring, ball-playing of the lads when their work was done, the pale, pathetic figure of the demon watching them. He was about to start for Portslade and back, wrapped, as he would put it, in a red-hot scorcher of an overcoat. Esther often longed for a romp with these boys. She was now prime favorite with them. Once they caught her in the hay-yard, and fine sport it was in the warm hay throwing each other over. Sometimes her wayward temper would get the better of her, but her momentary rage vanished at the sound of laughter. And after their tussling they would walk a little while pensively, until perhaps one, with an adroit trip, would send the other rolling over on the grass, and then with wild cries they would run down the driveway. Then there was a day when the wool-gatherer told her he was in love, and what fun they had had, and how well she had led him into belief that she was jealous. She had taken a rope as if she were going to hang herself, and having fastened it to a branch, she had knelt down as if she were saying her prayers. The poor wool-gatherer could stand it no longer. He had rushed to her side, swearing that if she would promise not to hang herself, he would never look at another girl again. The other boys, who had been crouching in the driveway, rose up. How they did chaff the wool-gatherer! He had burst into tears, and Esther had felt sorry for him, and almost inclined to marry him, out of pity for his forlorn condition. Her life grew happier and happier. She forgot that Mrs. Latch would not teach her how to make jellies, and had grown somewhat used to Sarah's allusions to her ignorance. She was still very poor, had not sufficient clothes, and her life was full of little troubles. But there were compensations. It was to her that Mrs. Barfield always came when she wanted anything in a hurry, and Miss Mary, too, seemed to prefer to apply to Esther when she wanted milk for her cats or bran and oats for her rabbits. The gaffer and his racehorses, the saint in her greenhouse, so went the stream of life at Woodview. What few visitors came were entertained by Miss Mary in the drawing-room, or on the tennis-lawn. Mrs. Barfield saw no one. She desired to remain in her old gown, an old thing that her daughter had discarded long ago, pinned up around her, and on her head an old bonnet, with a faded poppy hanging from the crown. In such attire she wished to be allowed to trot about to and fro from her greenhouse to her potting-shed, watering, pruning, and syringing her plants. These plants were dearer than all things to her except her children. She seemed, indeed, to treat them as if they were children, and with the sun pouring through the glass down on her back, she would sit freeing them from devouring insects all the day long. She would carry can after can of water up the long path, and never complain of fatigue. She broke into complaint only when Miss Mary forgot to feed her pets, of which she had a great number, rabbits and cats and rooks, and all the work devolved upon her. She could not see these poor dumb creatures hungry, and would trudge to the stables, coming back laden with trusses of hay. But it was sometimes more than a pair of hands could do, and she would send Esther with scraps of meat and bread and milk to the unfortunate rooks that Mary had so unmercifully forgotten. "'I'll have no more pets,' she'd say. "'Miss Mary won't look after them, and all the trouble falls upon me. See these poor cats, how they come mewing round my skirts?' She loved to expatiate on her inexhaustible affection for dumb animals, and she continued an anecdotal discourse till, suddenly wearying of it, she would break off and speak to Esther about Barnstaple and the brethren. 
The saint loved to hear Esther tell of her father and the little shop in Barnstable, of the prayer meetings and the simple earnestness and narrowness of the faith of those good brethren. Circumstances had effaced, though they had not obliterated, the once sharply marked confines of her religious habits. Her religion was like a garden, a little less sedulously tended than of yore, but no whit less fondly loved, and while listening to Esther's story, she dreamed her own early life over again, and paused, laying down her watering-can, penetrated with the happiness of gentle memories. So Esther's life grew and was fashioned. So amid the ceaseless round of simple daily occupations, mistress and maid learned to know and to love one another, and became united and strengthful in the tender and ineffable sympathies of race and religion. End of chapter 4